in those moments. For example, I might not recall something we'd all seen a half hour before. A caribou hoof print in soft ground at the edge of a creek, say. But my companions would remember that. And a while after our encounter with the bear, say a half mile farther on, they would notice something else. A few grizzly bear guard hairs snagged in scales of tree bark. And they would relate it to some detail they had observed during those moments when we were watching the bear. The event I was cataloging in my mind as encounter with a tundra grizzly, they were experiencing as a sudden immersion in the current of a river. They were swimming in it, feeling its pull, noting the temperature of the water, the back eddies, and where side streams entered. My approach, in contrast, was mostly to take note of objects in the scene, the bear, the caribou, the tundra vegetation. A series of dots which I would try to make sense of by connecting them all with a single line. My friends had situated themselves within a dynamic event. Also, unlike me, they felt no immediate need to resolve it into meaning. Their approach was to let it continue to unfold, to notice everything, and to let whatever significance was there emerge in its own time. The lesson to be learned here was not just for me to pay closer attention to what was going on around me, if I hoped to have a deeper understanding of the event, but to remain in a state of suspended mental analysis while observing all that was happening, resisting the urge to define or to summarize. To step away from the familiar compulsion to understand. Further, I had to incorporate a quintessential characteristic of the way indigenous people observe. They pay more attention to patterns in what they encounter than to isolated objects. When they saw the bear, they right away began searching for a pattern that was resolving itself before them as a bear feeding on a carcass. They began gathering various pieces together that might later self-assemble into an event larger than a bear feeding. These unintegrated pieces they took in as we traveled. The nature of the sonic landscape that permeated this particular physical landscape. The presence or absence of wind and the direction from which it was coming or had shifted. A piece of speckled eggshell under a tree. Leaves missing from the stems of a species of brush. A hole freshly dug in the ground might individually convey very little. Allowed to slowly resolve into a pattern, however, they might become revelatory. They might illuminate the land further. If the first lesson in learning how to see more deeply into a landscape was to be continuously attentive and to stifle the urge to stand outside the event, to instead stay within the event, leaving its significance to be resolved later. The second lesson for me was to notice how often I asked my body to defer to the dictates of my mind, how my body's extraordinary ability to discern textures and perfumes, to discriminate among tones and colors in the world outside itself, was dismissed by the rational mind. 
As much as I believed I was fully present in the physical worlds I was traveling through, I understood over time that I was not. More often, I was only thinking about the place I was in. Initially awed by an event, the screech of a gray fox in the night woods, say, or the surfacing of, of a large whale, I too often moved straight to analysis. On occasion, I would become so wedded to my thoughts, to some cascade of ideas, that I actually lost touch with the details that my body was still gathering from a place. The ear heard the song of a vesper sparrow, and then heard the song again, and knew that the second time it was a different vesper sparrow singing. The mind, pleased with itself for identifying those notes as the song of a vesper sparrow, was too preoccupied with its summary to notice what the ear was saying.